Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 177. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll finish up on Leviticus and begin our study of the book of Numbers. We almost finished Leviticus last time. We ran out of time. I want to call your attention to uh, chapter 25, verse 4. It says in chapter 25, verse 4, so turn to there unless you are uh, driving your car. Uh, there's uh, God gives the Lord tells Moses and says, tell them, tell the people, you know, they're supposed to sow their field and and work their field for each six years. But here's the part that's uh, significant. Verse four, during the seventh year, the land shall have a complete rest. So the land has to lie fallow, right? A Sabbath for the Lord. So remember, the Lord rested on the seventh day, and so the people are supposed to remember that. Um, so what, they may neither sow their field or prune their vineyards. So again, that's chapter 25, verse 4. Okay. So um, it says also in verse 8, seven weeks of years shall you count, seven times seven years so that the seven cycles amount to 49 years. So we in our in the New Testament of course we saw a constant reference to the number 7, the number being the number of completion, the number of perfection, right? We've already seen it in the creation story, etc. So bottom line, the people are not supposed to do farming on the 7th year. What does that mean? They're supposed to um, trust in the Lord to provide for them for that seventh year. And they're supposed to work hard for those six years and uh, put up a little something for the side. Uh, and and so uh, they're, they're supposed to, um, you know, supposed to do that. And so there it's called, and then there's this uh, Jubilee year. So they're supposed to go ahead and do that. Uh, they're supposed to trust the Lord to provide a surplus during the sixth year per verses 20 and 21. Let's take a look at that. Verse 20. This might be worth underlining. Uh, Therefore, do not say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we do not then sow or reap our crop? Verse 21. Worth underlining. I will bestow such blessings on you in the sixth year that there will then be a crop enough for three years. So when you sow in the eighth year, you will continue to eat from the old crop and all that. So what's God saying? I want you to trust me for that seventh year. Okay. Even the fields are supposed to have a Sabbath year of rest. There's one problem with this. There is no evidence anywhere that the Israelites ever did this. Okay, they never trusted the Lord to that degree. Okay, even though the Lord told Moses to tell the people that they didn't trust him. Okay, okay, so what? They didn't trust him. Well, in chapter 26, it lists the punishment for not heeding these laws. So turn to chapter 26, verse 33 through 35. Let's read those. 
You yourselves I will scatter among the nations at the point of my drawn sword, leaving your countryside desolate and your cities deserted. Okay, that's if you if you don't, uh, you know, if if you disobey the Lord, and um, if you you know also if you, you know if if you if you disobey the Lord, which includes violating the Sabbath thing. Verse thirty four. Then, you know, now that the countryside is desolate, then shall the land retrieve its lost Sabbaths during all the time it lies waste. While you are in the land of your enemies. Well, will they be in the land of their enemies? Yeah. There's going to be a little thing uh, years and years later called the Babylonian exile. And the people will be in uh, the land of their enemies. For how long? Poetically, maybe 70 years, give or take. Okay. So there's that number seven. So you didn't trust God uh, to provide for you in the seventh year, even though he told you so. So you didn't completely trust him. So now you're going to be completely at the hands of your enemies for 70 years. Again, that number seven, uh, the number of completion. Um, then shall the land have rest and make up for its Sabbaths during all the time that it lies desolate, enjoying the rest that you would not let it have on the Sabbaths when you lived there. Okay, so 70 years. So we see in the book of Leviticus that God is serious about following his commands for worship and behavior and trusting him. Okay, so that sounds pretty serious, right? And and the people will, in fact, ultimately end up in Babylon. That's not going to happen for, you know, probably about, give or take, 900 years after this, if I got my math right on this. But anyway, uh, it, it will eventually happen. Um, yet, here is what I am thrilled about in the book of Leviticus, even though we know that the people are not going to follow the laws that uh, that God has set forth, and even though we know that the people are going to not tr even trust him, etc., um, and even though we know that they're going to end up in enemy territory as uh you know, basically slaves to them. Let's take a look at the wonder of God in chapter 26, verse 44 and 45. And I want you to underline these um, because it gives us the character of God, the true character of God. And this is Old Testament now. So for those who say, oh, God is so mean in the Old Testament. Well, sometimes, you know, he had to, people, he had to get people's attention because they were so evil. But even though people are so bad, God keeps his promises. Let's read Leviticus chapter 26, verse 44 and on. Yet even so, even while they, you know, the Israelites, are in their enemy's land, you know, Babylon, 900 years later, I will not reject or spurn them, lest by wiping them out, I make void my covenant with them. 
Okay, what's the covenant he's referring to? The covenant he made with Abraham, and then, you know, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so forth. He had said, you know, I'm going to watch out for you. I'm going to be your people. You're going to be in the promised land, okay? Um, so, I may, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to reject the people, even though they reject me, um, by, because that would make void my covenant with them. For I, the Lord, am their God. I will remember them because of the covenant I made with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc., whom I brought out of the land of Egypt under the very eyes of the Gentile, that I, the Lord, might be their God. So he still remembers his people and still takes care of them even when they fail him. And we know that this covenant is ultimately fulfilled by the coming death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, who is also one of those people as well. Well, that's about all I want to say about the book of Leviticus. So uh, admittedly, uh, this, is a, this is a challenging book to, you know, to try to keep your interest up. It doesn't have the characters, let's say, of Genesis. It doesn't have, you know, many of the pronouncements of the New Testament, etc. So we made it through Leviticus. So you probably thought, okay, we're home free. Back to the characters and the stories like we had in Genesis and even the first part of Exodus. I'm so excited to be getting back to all the good parts of the Bible that I can relate to. And then you read Numbers chapters 1 through 10. Just when you thought it was safe to open your Bible again without falling asleep, there's chapter 7. Did anyone in this room leap up and start doing flips and scream, Hallelujah, praise Jesus, when you read chapter 7 of Numbers, okay, um, it's, it's, uh, it's tough reading. So you may even choose to skim this, but it's in the Bible. It's the inspired word of God. And so we are going to cover it, but kind of in outline uh, form, okay? I said we're going to go through every book of the Bible. And um, do you realize that in most graduate schools of theology, most seminaries don't go into the depths that you're getting uh, with, with this, okay? Um, and uh, so, uh, did you note, um, I hope you noticed, in the last half of Exodus and in Leviticus, all the things that just scream of Catholicism, you know, the priests, the vestments, the tabernacles, the anointing, the sacrifice, the bread of the presence, the liturgical year, the penance, um, you know, the offerings, etc. Uh, through all this, I think you can see that the Catholic Church the one and only church founded by Jesus Christ is the new covenant extension of the same faith given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. Okay, 
On to the book of Numbers. Think of this whole trip to the promised land from Exodus through the book of Joshua as a 3,400-year-old version of the movie Vacation with Chevy Chase, if you want to look that one up. I'm starting to date myself with the um, examples that I'm using. Okay, so imagine you're you're trying to get to the promised land. The Griswolds is the family in the movie Vacation. And uh, they're trying to get to their own promised land. It's a place called Wally World. It's in the movie Vacation. And a lot of bad stuff to, to, happens to them along the way. They have a bad experience camping. The kids fight constantly amongst each other. Uh, they break down and they're stranded in the desert for a while. They make a few wrong turns. Everybody complains about the food, wishes they were back home, and they revolt against their leader. So poor Clark Griswold of the movie and poor Moses here. Uh, I'll bet you never thought of the rich religious symbolism of National Lampoon's vacation before. Well, if National Lampoon's vacation is an analogy for the Israelites' journey, uh, picture the Griswolds where they've just finished camping. They have Aunt Edna with them, and they're loading up their ugly green station wagon. Uh, these first 10 chapters are about loading up the car, so to speak. Why is this book called Numbers? Well, it refers to two censuses, censuses that are taken in the book. The first one we're going to see in chapter 1, and the second one in chapter 26. Um, the Hebrew title of the, of the book of Numbers, the Hebrew title of the book, means In the Wilderness. Okay, So the book of Numbers takes us through about 38 and a half years of history. And on a journey from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land, that they should have been able to travel in about 40 days, not the 40 years it does take. Again, the people wandered so long because they didn't fully trust God. Perhaps you can relate to this in your own life. You know, if you followed God, you'd, you'd, you'd uh, you know, you things would have happened quicker for you, perhaps. But uh, you went on your own way and you, you had to take that detour. And now you're sorry you took that detour. But okay. So uh, they didn't fully trust God. Now, let's hearken back in Exodus and even uh, a little bit of Leviticus there. When they're building the ta tabernacle and all the things in it, um, the Israelites really were on fire for the Lord. But all it will take are a few inconveniences, we've already seen some, and the people's faith dissipates. We're going to see this in a while. They're going to have a failure at a place called Kadesh Barnea, and they're going to, they're going to wander, um, you know. And an entire generation, except for two people, are not going to enter the, the promised land. 
So I'll just tease you with this fact. How many men over the age of 20 at the beginning of this trip in Exodus ever make it to the promised land? How many of them over the age of 20 ever make it? Well, spoiler alert, turn this off if, if you don't want to hear that. The answer is two. And sad to say, Moses isn't one of them. Okay, and we'll see why. I'm just kind of teasing you here. But Numbers shows us the value of perseverance and faithfulness. God was with the Israelites all the way. He didn't leave the people, but we're going to see that once again, it was the people that lost their faith in God, except for these two guys. Okay. Spoiler alert, do you want to know who the guys are? Uh, their names are Joshua and Caleb, but Moses doesn't make it. Okay, so uh, Numbers picks up where Leviticus left off. The people are still camped at the base of Mount Sinai. It's been almost exactly a year since they left Egypt. They've been camped at this spot for about nine months. And uh, during this time, they received the Ten Commandments, they built the tabernacle and all of its contents, and they received all the Levitical laws. Um, so in chapters one through 10, they're going over some last minute details before they begin their trip. Um, so if you were taking a family trip, the first thing you do is make sure all your kids are accounted for, right? I mean, if you got a big family, you want to count them all before you get in the car. Uh, unless you, uh, uh, except for the family in the movie Home Alone, you know, the gag there is they left a kid at, at home. Um, so now we're into chapter one where they're counting people and uh, they're counting uh every man over 20 that's that's able to go to war. And I think we're out of time there. So that's just a brief introduction to uh, the book of Numbers. And let's just see in the next sessions how they fare in their walk with God. Okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you so much for what we saw at the end of Leviticus in chapter 26, where you, know, you basically say, hey, you people, even though I know you're going to fail, I'm always going to be your God. I'm always going to be for you. I'm, I'm, uh, even, even when bad stuff happens to you, I'm going to be for you. And uh, we are thankful that you show us mercy when we don't uh, deserve mercy. And then as we begin this study of, of numbers, help us to personalize this. Help us to put ourselves in the minds of the Israelites who are beginning that journey towards the promised land. Because after all, we are on our own journey towards the prom towards the promised land of heaven with you, aren't we? And so help us, unlike the Israelites, to 
to continue to walk with you, to trust you, even when uh, things are kind of going against us. So we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.